Welcome to the Sons of Thunder, presented by the Think Institute. I'm Joel Sedecase, founder of the Institute. And I'm Parker Sedecase, master student at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And this is the show where we explore interesting questions from a biblical perspective. So how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, dude, a lot of, lot of research for this. Been going pretty well. I'm very excited about it. Learning Hebrew right now. It's kind of cool. Very interesting. You know, I never learned Hebrew. So in typical fashion, you are trying to one-up me, um, taking... I learned Greek. And not, now, not just trying, but... Well, attempting to. Sorry, <laughs> attempting. I'm going to speak with your father-in-law in Hebrew about you. <laughs> uh, so, Park, let me ask you a question. Are we living in a simulation? Man, that is a tough question. We're going to say not really, but we need to unpack that a little bit. So... This is a question that, that comes up here and there, uh, mostly because of podcasts like Joe Rogan. Right. Uh, where guys will come on and talk about us living in a video game, usually. But the technical name of it is the simulation hypothesis, or the simulation argument. And, and this argument is another in a long line of skeptical arguments similar to like Descartes' demon, which is uh, that we are being systematically deceived by an evil demon. Okay, so Rene Descartes was a philosopher and he came up with that old line, the philosophical line that everyone's heard of, I think, therefore I am. Right. And his whole philosophical epistemology, his, his whole theory of knowledge had to do with the starting point of I'm thinking, therefore I must exist. And he works that theory out. And in the in the process of working that theory out and moving from his own existence to the existence of God and, and along the way proving the existence of external reality, he poses this hypothesis and he says, what if there were an evil demon who is tricking me into thinking that the world I live in is real and right. he's erasing my memory right. and he's doing... And, and so what you're saying is, Asking this question, is the universe a simulation? That is similar to Descartes hundreds of years ago asking the question, what if there's an evil demon skewing my view of reality, right? Right. And and it's also very similar to, um, there's a whole line of, of arguments similar to this, the solipsistic brain in a vat, that maybe I am the only thing that exists in reality, uh, in this reality that I perceive. <clears throat> uh, this has also been adapted in the popular movie, The Matrix, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. Um, yet you're being fed your, your qualia experience, your first person subjective experience through electrodes, and you're just really a, a brain in a vat somewhere. Uh, it's also kind of similar to the Truman Show threat, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm calling. Uh, also similar to the Adjustment Bureau, where you're in this reality and maybe it, it has some kind of existence to it, but there's a bunch of people who are tricking you. Yeah. This is kind of like, have you heard of the Mandela effect? I have. I haven't looked it up. Okay. It's, it's this idea that someone is changing reality. Hmm. The, it's, it's the idea that the reality we live in is a simulation. And, and so you know, is reality a simulation or, or is reality being adjusted? And it gets its name from Nelson Mandela, who recently died a couple of years ago. Yeah. But all these people, when he died, all these people go, 
Oh, I thought he died back in the 90s. Didn't he die back in... Hmm. And then that spiraled out of control into this whole theory that oh. he did die in the 90s, but then someone tweaked reality huh. and someone adjusted the records. And... The Adjustment Bureau. It's like they the Adjustment... It. And it's like, you know, remember those books, uh, The Berenstein Bears? Right, right. Yeah, but no, you don't. It's not the Berenstein Bears. It's the Berenstain Bears. Stain? Berenstain Bears. If you look at all the books today, uh. they say the Berenstain Bears. And all these people are going, no, I remember when, it was, when I was a kid, it was the Berenstain Bears. <laughs> E-I-N. And, yeah. And uh, someone must have adjusted it because the idea is if I re remember something differently, well, right. my memory is more reliable than right, right, my right. current sensory experience. Yeah. So that's the Adjustment Bureau, which is that movie with Matt Damon where yeah. somebody is adjusting reality, right. essentially. And so a uh, uh, fourth argument is it's um, in the same kind of family is the argument of the idealists who claim that uh, ultimately mind is more real than reality or than uh, the physical reality that we perceive. Um, and some people will draw this all the way back to Plato and his forms, talking about how the form of the triangle is more real, has more real existence than the imperfect triangles that we experience here in reality, in the and physical realm. Yeah, and the reason why we recognize a three-sided shape as a triangle is because there's this form, there's this perfect triangle out there in the world of forms, which is just this mental world that exists, not in our physical world. And we all, Plato says, we all have experience with that world and we, we remember the perfect triangle. So when we see imperfect triangles in our world, we recognize, oh, that's like that other perfect right. triangle. But right. is that is that what this argument of the, the simulation hypothesis is, or, or what do we mean by simulation? Yeah, so as we'll see, it's it's similar in the similar kind of vein, but it, it's also different in some important ways. And so um, we're going to go to James Anderson, one of my favorite philosophers, one of our favorite philosophers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, he's a Christian, and he diagrams this um, scenario very well. You know what I just realized? What's that? To talk about whether or not we're living in the Matrix, we're going to... Learn from Mr. Anderson. Ah, that's good. Well, that's Maybe good. we are. I think I'm, I've just been debunked. <laughs> I'm triggered now. <clears throat> uh, Mr. Anderson was the name of uh, Neo. People know Mr. Neo. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Okay. So um, with some help from James Anderson, let's, let's continue on our trail here. Okay. So the three possibilities for living in a simulation are, the first one is The Sims. Right. Where we are essentially digital characters the second one is the matrix yep. where we are a brain where our our bodies are somewhere if we even have bodies but our brains are being fed information but our right. brains are real we are real right. we are real people we, yeah and the the third one is that we are brains created in within a computer that have developed or we have emerged as sentient self-aware beings yeah right and was there there was a fourth one no that's it that's the it third. okay um so James Anderson is, is very helpful here. I'm going to read a couple. So scenario one, The Sims. Anderson says, on this view, the universe would be a simulation in the way that the popular video game, The Sims, is a simulation. The difference would be only a matter of scale and complexity. This scenario is easily refuted, though, because it's trivially, it's trivially self-defeating. The virtual people in The Sims are entirely fictional. It's not merely that they aren't conscious beings they aren't beings at all they no more have um they no more exist than sherlock holmes and captain america exist mm -hmm. the sims is in effect just a highly interactive cgi 
movie. Right. Right. So thus, uh, to suggest that our universe is that kind of simulation, to su- suggest that we don't really exist at all. Mm-hmm. So who's actually proposing the hypothesis? Right. And Anderson says, um, no one. Yeah. So moving on to scenario two, the matrix. So we can officially say that version of the simulation theory right. is right. debunked. Right. Because if you didn't exist, you wouldn't be sitting here asking the question. Exactly. It's Descartes. Right. Which, you know, I'm not totally comfortable using yeah. Descartes. And I absolutely love that we have to go back to Descartes. Uh, right. And Descartes is uh, probably wrong, but... I, don't, I can't disprove him, so we'll go with it. Nice. <clears throat> Scenario two, the Matrix. Anderson says, on this view, we're living in a simulation in the way that Neo was inhabiting a virtual world in the movie The Matrix. Mr. Anderson. Right. Neo himself wasn't a simulation, at least uh, on the most natural interpretation of the first movie. He drops it in because he's a philosopher, and he knows that everyone went crazy because the, the last two movies kind of didn't cohere as well with the first Why? one. Now, there's all sorts of theories, and people have all sorts of weird things. Uh, you know, wait, 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 wait. So some people think that the people entering into the world, uh-huh. the real world, uh-huh. Zion, that is still in a computer simulation, or there's somehow still some kind of control. Right. Right. So even even the quote unquote actual world that's been scorched right. by warfare and stuff, even that might be. Well, that has to be that that isn't real because Neo is stopping bullets with his bare hands. Well, so this is kind of the. Descartes' uh, idea about are we in a dream or are we awake? Right. And this is something Ben Shapiro talks about a lot, actually, because he likes that movie, but he says they never address the question, what if Neo's still asleep? Right. What if he needs to wake up again? You ever been inside a dream in your dream? Yeah. So what absolutely. if he's in there? Right. And it's that's like Inception. Right. That, th- that leaves the question right. hanging right. Right. at the very end. Yeah. So, okay. So, really... And, and you know, here's the here's the interesting thing about the Matrix as well. The fact is, the Matrix is it's a movie. Right. Neo actually doesn't exist. Right. Well, so that's something we're going to talk about another time. Are we in a play? Right. Right. But okay. So yeah. moving on. So Anderson rejects this one because he says, you know, what positive reasons are there to think that we are in a simulation like the Matrix? Mm-hmm. Well, Brains in a vat. Well, none, right? We don't have any evidence for that. And uh, it, it seems like you couldn't have evidence for that. So it's this, it's an idea. It's a question. There's no positive evidence for it. Right. There's nothing, there's no empirical, by the very nature of asking the question, you're saying we are in a simulation so, so detailed and so meticulously planned out that there are no errors in it, in which case it would just be distinct, indistinguishable from an actual physical world. Right. But even in the Matrix, though, are we going to talk about deja vu? Because... Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit right. in the folks' uh, understanding of it. Okay, okay. <clears throat> so that's right. coming. Uh, Anderson goes on to say, look, even in the Matrix, right, you have your, your separate existence outside of the Matrix. Right. So we'd still have to have an explanation for you being... In the real world, right? right? So it just pushes the argument back again, right? And it's not a great explanation for anything. So so now we're talking about simulation theory or simulation hypothesis as an explanation for why things exist at all. Yep. Now we're getting to the primary philosophical question, which is why is there something rather than nothing? Right. And some would attempt to use the simulation theory or simulation hypothesis to say, well, this is why there's something rather than nothing. Because 
some computer programmer or a team of computer programmers created this world that we're living in. And what you're saying is that doesn't actually do away with the problem because we're, we're just pushing it back one step because now the next question is, well, who created the simula the simulators right. or why are they here? Why are they here now? Right, right. Yeah. So now we move on to scenario three, brains in a computer. And this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about. <clears throat> this version, uh, according to Anderson, this version of the hypothesis proposes not only that our experiences are the product of a simulation, as in scenario two, the matrix, but also that we ourselves mm. are part of the simulation apparatus. Thus, Contra Scenario 1, we actually do exist, but Contra Scenario 2, we don't exist independently of the simulation. The idea here would be that there is nothing, <clears throat> there is something like a supercomputer running the entire simulation, and parts of the computer, which is essentially a complex physical machine, are conscious, and indeed they're self-conscious. Self-conscious persons like us. And so that's the, the third hypothesis. And this is what we get into. Uh, this is the, the popular one. Not a lot of people talk about us living in the matrix or not. But today people are talking about, you know, do we live in a computer game? And are we computer generated characters that right. have become self-aware? Or we're that... made, made to be self-aware, right? Right, yeah. right. One way or the other, we are self-aware. But we our entire existence is virtual. Right. And this is keeping people up at night. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And some people will try to use it as a defeater for Christian theism or theism in general, right? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It is. Because if this is true, well, we're going to talk about this right. towards the end. Right. But if this is true, right. this has major implications right. for those of us who want to follow Jesus right. and believe that the Bible is true. Right. So let's jump in and lay out this third uh, scenario more clearly. All right. So this is this is the Blade Runner, the, the Blade Runner scenario where there are computer created well, no, it's not Blade Runner. No, it's, it's not. not. Because in Blade Runner, there was an external world that there were autonomous uh, AI beings running around in, but they had a physical presence. This is... Uh, this is more like Tron. Uh, oh, the, the second Tron. Right. Where um, there are computer-created entities that are still inhabiting the computer. Right, right. Olivia Wilde in that movie is a digital digitally evolved consciousness right and and their explanation for her was that evolution finds a way even in a computer simulation yeah, yeah, even yeah. in a arcade game yeah so like she which, consciousness yeah. finds a way so uh life um uh life uh uh fi finds a way <laughs> i didn't know you're going with jeff goldblum <laughs> jeff, jeff goldblum for you finds a way uh, um so the idea here is there is no external re there is no external existence. There's no bodily existence of us. Of us. Of us. We are purely derived. We are created within the computer. We don't exist at all. Right. And if someone turns off the computer or ends the simulation, right. we go bye bye. Exactly. So though it's hard to pin down the progenitor of the simulation hypothesis, Oxford philosopher Nick Bostrom is the father of the simulation argument. Uh, and he actually, if you look this guy up, he is Jesse Eisenberg method acting. Like he even has this like bad accent. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And and no one's ever seen Jesse Eisenberg and him and Bostrom right. in the same room. Right, 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 right. Which might be able to happen if we're in the simulation. I mean, I don't know. What? Maybe maybe that code doesn't go together. Maybe uh, maybe they just repeated the same code. Mm, and they're lazy like, programmers. They're like, remove the hair from the top of the head, give him a funny accent, <laughs> yeah. and uh, now we're just shredding Nick Bostrom. 
Sorry, Nick. If you uh, hear this. When you listen to this, you, we think you're a great guy. Uh, but your idea is most likely wrong, but yeah, well, you're fine. we'll see. You're okay. okay. So there's a difference between simulation hypothesis and simulation argument. Real quick, simulation hypothesis uh, is the hypothesis that we are currently living in a computer simulation. Uh, this proposition is a proposition that Ballstrom himself thinks is less than 50% likely. So if that's the case, then what's the deal? Well, let's move on to the argument here. Okay. His argument purports to show that one of three propositions are true. Now, this is the argument, not the hypothesis. Right. Not the theory. This is right. this is just a philosophical argument right. that, that we can we Right. Can and you with. can argue for something without uh, holding to it yourself. Sure. So he's saying that one of these three propositions is true. One that almost all civil civilizations go extinct before technological maturity, meaning uh, humans or you know any kind of uh, self-conscious agents, all civilizations will go extinct before they can make these simulations. Before they develop the capability to create lifelike, photorealistic right. simulations that simulate a, a whole world like right. the one we live in, supposedly. So the second proposition is that all civilizations lose interest in creating these kind of ancestor computer simulations um, for various reasons. You know, it could be uh, unethical to make a bunch of digital self-conscious people only to torture them or allow them to go through pain and suffering. Right. right because these characters in these simulations, which are supposedly us, if right. this is what we are, they are self-aware. Right. They are, they are even moral beings. They have, yep. they have the capability of doing great I mean, everything that exists in our world, they can do good, they can do evil, they can experience pain. They actually experience right. pain and suffering. Right. So then the third premise is we are almost certainly living in a computer simulation. Now, this is different from those traditional skeptical arguments we talked about in the intro in that it doesn't start from a position of doubt. It, it assumes that everything is as it is right now, that we're continuing to progress in the scientific revolution that we find ourselves and that you just imagine further down the line, we're capable of making these high-tech computers that can simulate reality. Right. Elon Musk talks about this. He's, he points back to the first video game that was ever popular, Pong, which was two lines and a circle. And that was the pinnacle of simulation. You know, that was, I mean, or, or for example, go back and watch the original Star Wars movies. You know, and what what they the digital displays they see on their screen as they're simulating flying into that canyon on the Death Star and delivering spoiler alert they deliver the uh, the photon yeah. torpedoes or whatever that destroy oh I just triggered so many Star Wars uh, <laughs> photon torpedoes that's Star Trek not Star Wars um, but they they're simulating this and it's red lines on a black screen. It's like right. those old DOS displays. Right. Now you look at the simulations that we have today and the video games we have today where all these nerds are playing, uh, you know, there's millions of nerds all in these, <laughs> all in these simulated worlds. Parker and I don't play video games. We're, yeah, we're, we're really tipping our hands. We're here. theology nerds, but, yeah. uh, but these video game nerds, nerds again, yeah, nerds. Nerds. nerds, nerds, put them in lockers. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, they are playing these, as Elon Musk puts it, these photorealistic, games that are essentially you know so much more advanced and the the argument is as civilizations progress they progress in their technology and in their ability to simulate reality therefore well so therefore we live in a computer simulation because eventually civilizations if the first two premises aren't true well so this is supporting the third premise right so again right. remember uh bolstrom himself is not 
he doesn't hold to the simulation hypothesis. He says one of these three propositions are true. The third one being the simulation hypothesis. Because unless civilizations die out right. or lose interest, yep. they will create these kind of simulations. Which, is there a problem philosophically with that argument? Well, well hold your horses here, man. We're, we're getting to it. Uh, getting hold your own horses. Hold your own horses. <laughs> Fine, we'll get there. Right. Okay. So, um, a couple... A couple of uh, supporting details for the ancestor simulation along the lines that you were just talking. When you say ancestor simulation, meaning an advanced civilization that is running a, a simulation of their ancestors, which mm -hmm. would be us at our time right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And so why would they do that? Well, there's lots of different reasons. Maybe something went bad. There's some kind of plague or uh, someone voted for Donald Trump or some something like that. But you repeat yourself. Yeah. According to certain worldviews. <laughs> sure. Sure. So the the uh, the advanced um, creators of these simulations, mm. they would run them to, to diagnost to, for diagnostics. Or maybe Hillary Clinton was elected in the real world and people want to see what would happen if Donald Trump had been elected. Right, right. There's also some pragmatic, um, even capitalistic uh, reasons for, simula for simulation. Um, one would be dating apps. Uh, well, think about uh, Hang the DJ, uh, an episode in Black Mirror season four, okay. where uh, the... Pro protagonists in that episode actually turned out to be two self-conscious persons in a dating app to see if they were compatible. And there was a uh, simulation running billions of these two people basically just hooking up for an hour to see if they were compatible. So this would be a hyper advanced version of uh, Christian Mingle. Right. right. <laughs> or what's that one? What's the one? Uh, 14 different dimensions of compatibility. Yeah, I'm, I know it. You know that guy? I haven't been programmed. It's the original enough, one. It's the original. Yeah, uh, the one that's eHarmony. eHarmony. E yeah, yeah. And they had to do one for. Uh, I know someone who met someone on one of those. Uh, oh, uh, meeting things. online is no big deal. Yeah, it's okay, totally fine right. to meet your spouse <laughs> yeah. on the internet. It's uh, perfectly normal. Very good. And uh, but uh, you know I couldn't tell you anybody who personally had done that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's yeah. Good idea. Good idea. All right. Um, the the just pause it now. No, that's right. That's fine. Listen, uh, my family's coming into my my <laughs> office right now. We're gonna just really quick. Uh, I'm gonna. This is the fruit of meeting online, right here, <laughs> barging into the uh, study. Right, because when you meet someone, you fall in love, and then uh, then comes the baby in the baby carriage. Right, and there's some steps in between. Uh, yes. kids ask your parents. Yeah. Now, the the idea here, if it's a dating app, is the question is, hey, am I compatible with this person? Well, let's run a billion simulations, right. and we'll find out what percentage of the simulations go wrong where you're not compatible or versus they go right. This is the dating version of Dr. Strange looking at all the, oh, the, yeah. the possibilities. Right. Uh, and how many Six scenarios million, yeah, 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 do yeah. we beat right. Thanos? So if that's the case, if this is possible, then the simulated people are conscious just as we ourselves are. Mm -hmm. But there's billions of digital people that are self-conscious. Now, why would they need to be why would they need to be self-conscious because we're because we're self-conscious so in other words so if the argument's going to work it has to be something like us all right so in it other words our perspective yeah, right yeah it, that's not to say that all such simulations would need conscious entities it's just we are conscious so are we in one of those well right but the, and that's the whole argument right is yeah. that hey look if they're if we can make these conscious yeah. uh, digital things and there there would be billions of them mm -hmm. then it would be more reasonable as the argument goes yeah. to assume you're actually in the digital one because there's billions and billions and billions and billions of those but to make matters worse um 
Bostrom also talks about, you know, if these people are so advanced as to make simulated self-conscious persons, mm -hmm. they could also make self-conscious simulated persons that make simulations themselves. Mm. Thus, you have this nested simulation argument where there's just an unimaginable amount of digital self-conscious people. Just to remember where we are on the map here. We're talking about a scenario in which civilization, our civilization, or or something like our civilization, has advanced to the point where they can create simulations. Right. And if they if they have the ability to create simulations in which there are self-conscious digital beings, fake beings, but only fake in the sense that they have no physical reality, they have a digital reality that is self-aware, then they would create billions of these simulations. And if they have created billions of these simulations, then of all the possible worlds or universes that exist, billions of them are simulations. And within those billions of sim simulations, there are likely billions of simulated simulations where these artificial characters have created simulations as well. So now you've got billions times billions times trillions and zillions. Right. You've right. got this almost infinite number of simulations. Right. And isn't it more likely, therefore, that we ourselves are in one of those? Just the sheer probability of it right. is that we live in one of those. Right. And I can't help but think about uh, on The Office, Dwight gets depressed and he makes a second life, which is kind of like a, a version of The Sims. And yeah. in his second life, he makes... Uh, second second life. He's the creator of second second life. Oh yeah, and he's yeah. going at one step deeper into it. Yeah, yeah. So um, there is uh, there's some folk support, and when I say folk support, I mean uh, Nick Bostrom is is pretty careful. He's a he's a pretty good philosopher, right? Mm -hmm. But when his theories trickle down to the popular level, mm -hmm. they get kind of bastardized, right? They get well language, but well, yeah, okay. Um, we say we say. Um, Bo the... Bottom Street. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <They're>, no, <laughs> yeah. Is there a Christian version of that? We say uh, illegitimized. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They get, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. That might be the Christian version. It probably. Of that. Is. I mean, <laughs> it's a word. Really... It's an actual word. Yeah. It's not actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So, so anyways, and the, on the folk, the the folk support for it. This is like in religion. There's the high religion, the actual right. doctrines, and then there's the folk religion, right. which is superstitious and right. How it how it mm -hmm. uh, is played out. How the folk. The folks, the folks. Do it. how the folks, the, do it. the average the, the, everyday folks, just the folks. So the folks, uh, when they get a hold of simulation theory, guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I don't have a ton of respect for that dude, for being honest. Well, he doesn't have a ton of respect for you. That's fine. And quite, yeah, quite it's, honestly, it's mutual. But as a Christian, uh, as a thinker, he's outside of his element on this one because he's a scientist, right? He is. He's an astronomer, right? He's a, he's a smart dude, I or think. Astrophysicist, or whatever, right? probably but, very smart. But so he doesn't. He's not as all that to say. He's not as careful as Nick Bostrom is when it comes to this kind of stuff. Exactly. That's yeah. what I mean. He's out of his element, right? Donnie, you are out of your element. Right. So Neil deGrasse Tyson points to like social appeal up, upheavals mm -hmm. as evidence for the veracity of simulation hypothesis. So again, remember we said that Bostrom doesn't hold to that hypothesis. He thinks. The hypothesis is less than 50% true. But, you know, he says there's one of these propositions is true. Right. Uh, DeGrasse Tyson takes, um, he takes anecdotal support from his view of history and says, well, look at how crazy things are. It must be, uh, you know, for him, that provides evidence that we are in some snot-nosed alien kids video game. And he even says they're Nintendo. 
right? And so uh, they're messing with us by giving us all this social upheaval. And that's why unexpected things happen, like right. the election of certain world leaders. Right. Well, that couldn't have happened by any well, rational means. Right. We're Therefore, in the wrong timeline. I've heard that in 2016, right? Like, it's like bizarro world. Yeah, this wasn't yeah, supposed yeah. to happen. Yeah. You know, exactly. the kid must have pushed B instead of A. Yeah. When you, when you have a certain view of the world, anything that goes other than the way you think that it should go, well, that must be part of the simulation. Right, right. Because my view is the standard for the way things ought to go. Right. And so many on the popular level <clears throat> will point to uh, coincidences as well as uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson looking at history. They'll look at all these coincidences of this guy having this good luck or you know something in their own life that seems just too fortuitous or even uh, you know terrible. Uh, like a comedy of errors. Mm -hmm. They'll point to that and say, look, someone is doing something, but they don't want to go and say there's a God, right? And so right. they say, well, it's more believable that we're in a video game. Sure, someone's playing us right now. Yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson is very much against the idea of God, which is ironic that he's more than happy to accept this sort of lesser pseudo-God who really doesn't have any of the characteristics of God other than he's in control. Right. Right. And so uh, this plays itself out on, on the popular level a lot. There's a new book called The Simulation Hypothesis by Rizwan Verk. Verk? Yeah. Um, Verk? Apparently he's a MIT, an MIT computer scientist. And um, he he's bringing this kind of popular level view of simulation theory. And he's he's trying to build it backwards. So now would, would Verk be an example of of the folk approach to this? See, with that, I think that he is a mixture of, of folk and some quantum physics and some, some views on uh, artificial intelligence. And so it's it's an interesting uh, book. I haven't, I didn't, uh, they delivered it late today, so I didn't get a chance to okay. super dive into it. But he does follow one of my favorite authors, Philip K. Dick. And he uses mm -hmm. a lot of examples from, from Philip K. Dick's work. And um, really the, the whole idea behind the Matrix. Uh, the Matrix is, is this big movie production paying homage to Philip K. Dick. The science fiction writer. Right. Yeah. And and in uh, 1977 at uh, the sci-fi convention, Philip K. Dick, who was close to the end of his life, he says, we are living in a computer programmed reality. And the only clue we have to it, <clears throat> and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some alteration in our reality occurs. And he goes on to talk about deja vu. Right, mm -hmm. and if you're familiar with the Matrix at all, it's uh, when Neo sees black cats, and you know they do the same uh, noise. And when deja vu happens, that means that the uh, who is it, the Matrix, the robots, the, the agents, the, the agents. Yeah, but they're part of the big Matrix. Right? They're part of the Matrix. The, yeah. the AI has changed something, and they're coming for them. Yeah, the the you know the funny thing about that, and I know we haven't gotten to debunking this yet, but if in the Matrix, the black cat walks across the doorway, and then the black cat walks across the doorway again, and Neo learns that that's because right. someone changed something in the Matrix. But if the same thing were being, if someone rewound it and replayed it, then Neo would have been rewound and replayed right. as well. Right. Or, yeah. That's well, I guess I guess in that scenario, Neo exists well, they wouldn't need externally. To. Right. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's a different. So that would that right. would not be the same in in the scenario that Bostrom's putting forward. We would never see the right. rewinding because we would have been rewound as well. Right. Right. We are just artificial creatures. Right. Within the matrix. And so all that to say, again, uh, Bostrom is a philosopher. He's much more careful, 
But at the popular level, when you will be uh, experiencing this and, and seeing this crop up, it's going to be a blend, right? It's going to be a mixture of the Matrix and the Sims and you know maybe some genuine simulation uh, argument in there as well. This is the kind of discussion, this folk level discussion is what happens around the bonfire, smoking cigars, yeah. or hanging out in the hot tub. And it's, right. you just, hey, what if? Right. I'll bet it's, right. you know. Right. Yeah. right. So now let's move on to the analysis. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is the part we want to know, is this true? How right. likely is this? Right. All and right. so um, remember, again, Bostrom himself has said less than 50% chance that that simulation hypothesis is true. He also goes on to say that um, in, a, in a recent interview, a more recent interview, he says that he receives emails of anecdotal evidence for simulation hypothesis you know, from, from time to time, people writing to him saying they've seen glitches or they looked in the bathroom mirror and they, they see pixels and they think, hey, that's maybe a, a glitch in the system or they're experiencing this kind of deja vu that we're talking about. But Bostrom discounts these reports as being just, you know, what we would expect in our actual world. These are uh, psychological phenomenon that if we weren't in a simulation, we would still expect there to be people who hallucinate, uh, people with schizophrenia, People who see things that aren't there, right? Like we would expect that. So he goes on to discount these kind of anecdotes as, you know, not really giving evidence one way or the other. He also argues that if these people were, were so brilliant, if they were able to make these kind of simulations where they could control everything, then well, one, there wouldn't be these kind of glitches or they could paper over the glitches. Or like you said earlier, they could rewind the program and uh, fix the glitch and then have it play again. And so, again, Bostrom is discounting all this kind of folk-level uh, anecdotal evidence, including that evidence that seems to have um, convinced Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, similarly, uh, Lawrence Krauss has, uh, has interacted with this argument once or twice on YouTube, and he says, you know, basically, what's the difference? Because we, if Bostrom's right, which it seems like he would be right about not being able to tell that we're in a simulation, then... You know, why think that we are in a simulation? Well, one of the implications that some people have brought up is that we, if we find out that we are in a simulation, we'd better act like we don't know it because the simulators probably designed the simulation to accomplish a certain goal. And if the characters in the simulation become aware of the fact that they're in a simulation, that would countermand the goal of whatever the simulation has. And so therefore the simulators would probably just cancel the simulation, probably just turn off the computer, unplug, reboot, etc. And therefore, if we find out we are in a simulation and we act like it, right. then we had better be um, uh, uh, careful because we don't want our programmers to delete the program. Now, and therefore destroy our existence. Which we're doing right now. So everyone, you know, watch out. Right. But, you know, <laughs> here's the thing, though. These programmers would be able to see our very thoughts. Yeah. Because our thoughts are nothing more than code. Right. And so even if we're thinking the fact that we're in a simulation, yeah. that would be enough. So this creates this sort of, this is like having God without the goodwill. Right. And it actually brings us to uh, one of James Anderson's, you know, best critiques here, the, the problem of consciousness, right? So it's one thing to say that the programmers have programmed everything, all of our thoughts, all of our actions, but if they want us to be self-conscious as we find ourselves being right Which now- Which is what Bostrom is, is proposing. Right, then that that necessitates a certain view of the mind, uh, a view that 
the material can give rise to the immaterial. Yeah, that a computer could become, that something created by a computer could become self-aware. Or that, right, or that that computer itself could be self-aware. As opposed to just having the appearance right. of self-awareness. Like in a video game, one of these NPCs, these non-player characters, they give the appearance. If right. you if you poke it in the game, yeah. it acts like it's hurt, right. but it's not really hurt. Right, and Bostrom uh, talks about this a little bit with something called the Turing test. Uh, the Turing test um, is uh, is just kind of a, an argument developed by Alan Turing from uh, the Imitation Game movie, uh, most recently made about him. Uh, interesting movie for sure. Alan Turing talked about artificial intelligence. He's one of the progenitors of the modern day computer, and um, I could go into a lot about Turing tests and it would bore you to death, but the best way to get to it is to go back to Philip K. Dick again, as all good conversations do, <laughs> going back to Blade Runner. Do you remember in Blade Runner, Blade Runner, how do they decide? Blade, Blade Runner is the one where they're, yeah, they're just they're wasted. Rum, rum, <laughs> they're rum running kids, uh, yeah. ask your parents about that. But so the, uh, the one before that, Blade Runner, has um, a test in there to see if someone's an android, right? Right. And that comes from Philip K. Dick's book, mm. Do Androids Dream of Electric Dream? Electric Sheep. Wow, yeah. So anyway, so anyway, so anyways. So in this original story, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, there's this test. Yeah, where you it's can a Turing tell. test. He's taking Alan Turing's idea, which is really cool that he would do this and put it in a story. And there's questions you can ask an android that they will not be able to understand. Right. And um, the... The idea of the Turing test is, hey, look, uh, it's kind of a pragmatic idea that, hey, look, if you can pass uh, with a, with a, a specialist, someone who's maybe like a psychologist, if you're an android and you can pass that test, then what's really the difference between you know artificial intelligence and intelligence? And it's creating a standard or a bar for artificial intelligence and basically saying if you can clear this bar, you're a right. person. Right, right. It's very pragmatic and it's. A lot of people find it uh, less than compelling. Well, yeah, because it does, again, assume that something artificially created right. through silicone, yeah. silicon can be <clears throat> a person. It can right. actually have actual consciousness. Right. And so James Anderson, uh, in critiquing this theory, he says, uh, describing consciousness, he says, first, there's no reason to think that consciousness can arise out of purely physical structures, no matter how complex. Indeed, there are very good reasons to think that it's metaphysically impossible. Mental properties are categorically different than physical properties. Um, so what he's getting at is that mental properties like aboutness, like our thoughts are about things. I have a thought about my computer. I have a thought about uh, simulation hypothesis. Um, that's a property of mental states. It's, it's called intentionality. And... Physical states don't have aboutness. A rock is not about anything, right? We can have thoughts about rocks, but uh, physical properties do not have aboutness to, as, you know, just one argument against this. <clears throat> and a computer, even though a computer can, can be programmed to create a display or to run calculations, the computer itself is not about anything. Right. Those, and, and even the, the calculations... However, the computer is performing those and then displaying those, that that image of the number or the picture or the graphic or the fractal that's being displayed on the screen, that has no meaning until it is interpreted by a mind. There is no brute meaning that is just there. Right. And so <clears throat> one of these artificial characters would really just be a series of calculations. Right. 
um, resulting from variables inputted in the, into the computer that would have no objective meaning until being interpreted by the the Observe, programmer, right, by, right. by the observer. observer. Now, so it has no, as the philosophers say, it has no observer independence. Yes. Right? It, yes. Uh, your consciousness and my consciousness are observer independent in that it'd be silly if you came to me and with all this evidence saying that, you know, I'm, I'm not a person. Right. That I'm not thinking. Right. Right? Should I believe you? Absolutely not. Right. It, I'm, I have observer independent experience. Right. But like you were just saying with the computer, it only has uh, the, the appearance of intelligence if someone like me or you is looking at it. Correct. And this goes back to Descartes again. Descartes' starting point for his epistemology is, I think, therefore I am. Right. It's to, to say that we are artificial products of a computer, computer-generated people, would be to actually take away our actual personhood. Right. And that is not our experience. Our experience is that we have observer-independent experiences. Right. And, and again... Even if you were to make the argument, hypothetically, well, we do have, we have this consistent personhood because we're always being observed by our programmers. Well, there would still be no way for us to experience our first personhood. person. First person. Exactly. Right. right. Our, our observers would observe our personhood, sure. but we could not experience it. Yet we do have Yet this first do. person, which uh, philosophers call qualia, right? These first person personal experiences that are observer independent and therefore we are not according to this line of argumentation the products of computer programming right because uh again as james anderson says um bostrom's whole uh argument and hypothesis depends on a certain type of uh of theory of mind which is very very questionable and i would say is it doesn't get off the ground at all mm -hmm. um it, it's uh, the old problem what we talked about before about syntax and semantics. Computer has syntax. It has programs that tell it what to do, but it has no understanding. It has no uh, observer independence. It has no meaning. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have aboutness, right? Mm -hmm. um, so far, we're definitely not able to create that. And what Anderson was getting at is that it's a metaphysical impossibility. Right, right. And so there's no reason to believe, you know, even with all this time, like Bostrom was talking about, there's no reason to believe that um, we're going to be able to cross that category gap. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's a category gap. It's We're talking about something that can't be achieved even if technology continues to progress right. as Bostrom's argument or, uh, yeah, his argument right. requires, even if technology continues to advance, there is, there is an ontological difference. There's a difference in being or a, you might say a categorical difference between a person and the simulated personhood of a computer. Right. It is metaphysically impossible for the creation of a computer, if you can even call it a creation, for the result of computer programming to be self-aware and to be endowed with personhood. However similar it might appear right, to personhood. Right, even if they can pass the Turing test. Even if they can pass the Turing test. Right, okay. That's an arbitrary test. Right, exactly, yeah. right. Right. And All so uh, Anderson moves on to talk about um, how uh, human minds can perform various non-algorithmic tasks that cannot be simulated by computers and um, well, a creativity, right? Okay, but couldn't we develop a computer that could perform creative tasks? So not on its own, right? Not observer independently. 
right? And this is the it builds off the the first objection about consciousness. Yeah. Um. It, it, is it really creative if you've programmed it to be that way? Right? right. 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 So someone had to have that idea in mind in order to put it in to the computer. Right. And program. again, we're talking about categorical differences here. Creativity arises from within right. a mind, from within a a person, from from the heart. If we're going to get romantic about it. Right. And a computer made of silicon is not capable, even if it was a yeah. carbon-based computer, right. which right. I floated that idea before we started recording. It's it's still an artificial creation. It's still the result of right. the programming that's been the input. Syntax. The syntax. Yep, yep. Yes. And, and we need syntax and semantics. Right. And so um, Bostrom's theory depends on a strong AI thesis, uh, thesis versus a weak... AI thesis. Which, Artificial intelligence. Right. Which John Searle, um, I think, uh, debunks in his Chinese room argument. Uh, and we've talked about that before, and, and maybe we'll talk about that some more. But let's continue on here. All right. Yeah. We'll put a pin in that. Right. Just if someone wants to find out more about that, yeah, search, check out the show notes. Yeah. yeah. And we'll check out yeah, John Searle, strong AI, weak AI, and the Chinese room argument. Okay. So um, uh, another argument, uh, another reason to... to believe that this is debunked is a similar argument we've been addressing this whole time. You know, what positive reasons are there to think that we are in, that we are the self-conscious parts of a computer experiencing purely virtual reality? What positive evidence? Again, we've, we've talked about how uh, this can be kind of convincing if you see the three propositions and you disbelieve the first two, then you, you're, you're left with the last one. But that's, that's not quite a, a positive argument for it. Right, that's it, it. Won by default. We, I don't believe number one. I don't believe number two. Therefore, I'm left with number three. I don't believe that most civilizations die out before they get to this point. I don't believe that most civilizations lose interest before they get to this point. Therefore, sh by sheer probability, we are more than likely in a computer simulation. Right. And yeah. so then, um, how about this argument? This uh, this simulation argument being used against the idea of God. Mm. And so James Anderson addresses this as well. And it's he brings up the principle of parsimony. You, you familiar with that before? Oh, why don't you explain it? Yeah. So it's um, uh, it's also known as Occam's razor, mm -hmm. right? Basically, you take the simplest idea. And Occam was getting at uh, um, the medievals who were adding on all these metaphysical extras, all these burdens to their theory. And he was saying, hey, look, if your theory doesn't require it, and cut it off. Yeah, you're and adding it, a lot of extra explanation to this uh, right. definition, actually. Right, so if you're... <laughs> dang it. You walked me right into that. Oh, what man. does it mean? It's the simplest... Yeah. The simplest explanation is probably true. Right. There. If, if you're... I Occam'd that for well, you. Well, let's, let's, let's add some more to it. It's well, basically, don't explain more than you need to. If you're, Don't add to your theory if you don't need to. There it is. There don't it is. add to your theory. Right. Yes. Right. Fine. And so the principle of parsimony, first of all... The, the simulation hypothesis can't just prove God because it just pushes the argument back one step. Right. Right. So there's there's these. Well, go ahead. Well, the the program. I mean, this is what atheists will sometimes use against God. It doesn't work against God, but we could say, well, who who made the programmers? Right. Where the programmers come from? Right. Right. Because uh, in this scenario, they're they're like our ancestors, or they're they're our descendants. Yeah, descendants. Right. Yeah, that's a good way. They're our descendants. They're like us. So where they come? So from. where'd they come from? Yeah. Right. Well. Uh, if you were to say, well, they're self-existent, well, you're telling me they're like a self-existent 
person, <laughs> right? And they're maybe yeah. they're immaterial too. You want to say, yeah. are they are they omniscient and omnipotent? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you're talking about God at that point, yeah. and you don't want to go down that route either because right. you're trying to deny God. Right. Like like DeGrasse Tyson would not be pleased with an right. argument from simulation to God. Like right. he wouldn't want to. Uh, right. This whole thing is designed to create an. A, a an alternative to the biblical picture. Right. So if that's the case, if uh, this can't be used to disprove the existence of God, well, maybe God made our descendants, right? And they have made us. And mm. so we're still back into this conundrum. Right. Right. But the principle of parsimony would say, hey, look, if, you're, if your argument is that God had to make us, then you don't need this extra simulation. Mm. Like we're adding on to our metaphysical theory, just like the medievals were doing so uh, as anderson says there's a uh there's two premises right one is that there is a personal creator god and we have experiences of the real world the second is that there's a personal creator god and he permitted the construction of a massive computer simulation we are part of that right we can go on and on and on but one is clearly more simple that we it's it's the realism one mm -hmm. that we live in the real world and we're not in a computer simulation so uh moving on to his last argument which is very, very good. It's very similar to an uh, argument that we've covered here before, mm -hmm. Alvin Plantinga's evolutionary argument against naturalism. So Anderson finishes with this paragraph. He says, this presents a problem. He says, the simulation hypothesis, hypothesis itself is based on scientific theories and concepts derived from our experience of the world. It is predicated, at least in part, on what we take to be empirical scientific knowledge, what brains are and do and what computers are and do. But if we accept the simulation hypothesis, then we acquire a defeater for all our empirical beliefs and thus for our, all our scientific beliefs. Simply put, if the simulation hypothesis is true, we can't trust the science on which the simulation hypothesis is based. What does that mean? So we used our, our everyday uh, experiences. That's what Bostrom actually argues. He said, this is different than the other ones. It doesn't start with skepticism. It starts with how we think the, the world is. Right. And from that experience, we've, we've um, extrapolated that out. And we've said, based on our experience, right. we, we know about science. Yeah. We know about these how laws. How it progresses. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, we look at human history, but we're using that now to prove that the world is simulated Right. In which case, those rules are now the artificial simulated creation of this computer program. Right. Which is to say the, the real world might not work like that at all. Right. In which case, civilizations maybe don't progress. Maybe yeah. technology doesn't get more advanced in right. the real world. But that undercuts the entire right. argument. Right. Because the argument is, well, we know the civilizations advance, therefore there are probably billions of these simulations right. out there. Right. Well, no. Right. And so it appears that this this simulation hypothesis, this uh, simulation argument is actually self-defeating. Yes. Which I love when these things defeat it's themselves. It's the best, man. It's the greatest. You just, you can't always see it right away. I did not see that right. before we started this. Right. But let's talk really quickly about as biblical Christians, as Bible-believing followers of Jesus Christ, what, what does the Bible actually say about are we living in a simulation. Yeah, hit us. Now, here's where, as biblical Christians, we can officially say that the simulation theory is debunked. The Bible presents a view of the world that is best described as realism. We are, as Christians, we are biblical realists. Let me give you some verses that, that support this, that establish this. 
Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think about these things. Mm. The apostle Paul is telling us to focus on certain things. And one of those attributes of the things we're supposed to focus on is truth. Amen. Well, I've written elsewhere, we've talked about on the Think podcast, that the very concept of truth presupposes God. Mm. In short, if we're going to focus on things that are true, we have to actually have phenomenological experience of the truth, right. actual experience of things that are true. That right. means we have to have access to reality. Yeah. And if we're living in a simulation, that's not possible. Right. And, the, and okay, now, what about Romans 1.20? It says this, for God's invisible attributes, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. The creation that we live in points to the existence and the characteristics of God, not to the existence of computer designers, mm. computer coders. So if you want to follow the Bible and believe what it says, then you have to believe that the world we live in is designed to lead people to knowledge of God. Bostrom's argument is designed to lead people to knowledge of simulators. And and not even that, right? Because he argues that you wouldn't even know. So right. it's really no knowledge. That's anything, true. Right? Yeah. It no. actually leads to a, a radical agnosticism. Yep. Uh, Job 38, 36 uh, says this, who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? The If you read the rest of Job 38 through 42, what you find is that the assumption here is that it's God. It's not an assumption. It's explicit. God has done that. Mm. In other words, our very intelligence, our self-consciousness, our personhood, our ability to think and reason come not from a computer program, but from God. God is not a computer programmer, a, a contingent being, a, mm -hmm. a human being. He is the transcendent creator of life. He's the giver of life and he's the creator and sustainer of our universe, not computer programmers. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now think about this. We are sojourners and exiles as Christians in this world. Hmm. What does that mean? That means that we are not at home in this world. That there is something about the way that we were created or actually recreated because we've been born again in Christ that makes us in, incompatible with this world. Well, if we are merely the products of a computer simulation, then we are designed for this world. Hmm. Do you see? Yeah, this world is our home. We are not sojourners here. But the Bible explicitly says that we are, that there's a discord, there's a disconnect between our new nature that we have in Christ and this world. The world is often viewed as an immoral system, whereas we are being sanctified and we have been made right with God. Uh, so we are not at home here. One more, one more. In actually, well, maybe three more really quick. First Peter 2.9 says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Before anyone gets triggered, that's talking about Christians, not any race of ethnicity. Um, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Our purpose as Christians, our purpose is not to fulfill the end goal of some simulation. Our purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of him, of God, who called us out of darkness and through Christ brought us into 
the light. Amen. That is why we're here. We are not here to find out uh, what would happen under certain given circumstances. Right. So that's a, a pretty direct or, or just barely indirect refutation of the idea that we are hmm. simulated. Yeah. Genesis 1.1 says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right. Well, that's talking about the heavens and the earth that we experience mm-hmm. uh, because Adam, our first... And we read the Bible in this reality. That's correct. Right. That's correct. Right. right. Uh, Colossians 1.17, this might be just the, the linchpin here. Colossians 1.17 says that in Christ, all things consist. Hmm. Well, in other words, we are upheld by Christ, not by the whims of computer programmers. So if you're going to follow Christ, if you're going to believe the Bible, you can safely lay your head on the pillow at night and know that that pillow is real. Hmm. <laughs> it is not the uh, digitized, um, simulated virtual reality product of a computer program. Amen. So, Park, anything else? I think it's debunked. I think we can call this one debunked. All right, well, until next time, thank you for listening. To get in touch with us, go to Parker's Pensees. You can go to trendsettercase.wordpress.com or go to thethink.institute for more great resources. Until next time, I hope this... I hope this... Uh, uh, scrambled your circuit. <laughs> <laughs>